So even Vladimir Putin recognizes Joe Biden as president, even if the Proud Boys don't, or any of the people who write me, including the one that wants to see me publicly executed when Donald Trump is sworn in for his second term. A lot of division on the presidential race. This week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Ranowski. It's Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Hey, happy Tuesday. Happy I'm Tuesday. just just happy to see you got my email. Which email? The, the one about executing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that one was the was the most wicked one I got. I, I will wear a mask and socially be socially distant to attend your government ordered uh, public execution as a traitor when Donald Trump is sworn in for a second term. I don't know where these lunatics come from. They don't usually sign their name. It is kind of surprising that even Vladimir Putin, who kind of owned Trump, is recognizing Joe Biden as the president, but Donald Trump is still saying, no, I won. And I won by a lot. It's just, it's like. I was thinking that might be a strategy for the Browns, like the way Trump (laughs) looks at the election. Like, who was this guy impersonating Lamar Jackson who came out of the locker room uh, and he, you know, and, and led the team to snatch the victory from the Browns? Well, you know, you just, we just say we won. We didn't lose. We won. won. Yeah. Yeah. He was a total hoax. It wasn't Lamar Jackson. I'm going to challenge the results of the the game. We're going to the Supreme (laughs) Court, and we're going to count on their wisdom and bravery to give that victory back to us. All right. Let's uh, let's get started. Have we seen a post-Thanksgiving surge on the coronavirus in Ohio or not? Have we plateaued or not? Is Mike DeWine's curfew working. Jane Cahoon, it feels like it is. Yeah, it's really interesting. And of course, our Rich Exner took a look at this and and got the data to back it up that really appears to suggest that we have not had a post-Thanksgiving surge. Uh, Rich looked at one of the most reliable measures, which is the hospitalizations. Um, And um, you know, the, it really looks like the number of serious cases has leveled off. Now, it's still unbelievably high and unacceptably high. But even DeWine was saying yesterday, like, this might be a plateau. You know, maybe it is. We just can't tell. But uh, just to give you an example of what, what Rich found, um, the, the number of coronavirus patients in hospital beds across Ohio, you know, that surged like tenfold from from the first day of fall when it was like 590 uh, to a record 5,234 on December 1st. Um, and that's still, you know, hi- historically high, but it's it's remained pretty stable there. Uh, it's, you know, if, it, if there was this surge, the number of patients would have gone up even more sharply. You know, we're, we're like, what, 18 days um, 19 days out from from Thanksgiving. So the number of patients reported Monday was 5,157. So that was below the record count at the beginning of the month. Um, And as I said, this is still horrible. It's stressing hospitals. Not to say, you know, this is like, oh, we flattened the curve. But I mean, if we did flatten it, it's at a a very uh, high level. But but going into Thanksgiving, we had surged big time and, and everybody was very, very worried. You know, all the doctors that DeWine had put on to his briefing, they were worried about what would happen post Thanksgiving. And 
we you're yeah it's very high it's unacceptably high people are dying the u.s passed three hundred thousand deaths it's like you wiped out the city of orlando but but we haven't seen the big increase and and it just it makes you wonder if you put in that curfew and even 10 percent of the population listens to it is that enough to stop the surge if you beg people not to travel on thanksgiving and and some people, I mean, we talked earlier this week, six out of 10 still traveled, but last year it was seven out of 10. Is that enough to, to reduce the surge? Plus and, the maybe increased mask compliance is, uh, I think DeWine thinks that's a factor as well. Yeah. So you, you've got to give him his due. We've, we've raised questions all, all year about, has he done enough? But the fact that we seem to have forestalled that surge that everybody predicted is good news. I hope it doesn't make everybody think, oh, well, I'll go out for Christmas. There are some worrying signs. I, I saw a story this morning that in a corner of England, there's a, a mutation of the virus, they think, that is causing it to spread very quickly and it's worrying them. They don't know how virile or uh, deadly it is. But uh, so far, since Thanksgiving, we're, we're, we're kind of cruising at a straight level. It's a nice work by Rich Exner. Can I ask a quick question? I mean, Chris Warnowski. Is, is this, I mean, do you think that maybe we are either a giving too much attention to the anti-mask contingent? Cause it seems a lot bigger than it probably is it, you know, because they're, you know, there are protests that they have, there are things that are going on. I, I think this might be, is this more evidence that pe- more people are heeding these warnings than we think? And, and B, do you think that maybe that the 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 virus has gotten so widespread that everybody knows somebody now? Like we all, you know, we hit this point with AIDS, HIV, where it was like, oh, we have somebody in our life who is affected by this. And, and you know, now I understand it better. And I, you know, being able to humanize it and put a face that I know to it sort of make makes it hit home harder. I, do you think that the, the combination of those two things are, are sort of in, you know, explaining what we're, what we're experiencing now. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Everybody knows. And, and what you're seeing now is, is a lot of people know somebody that that didn't just get sick and feel bad that, I mean, this is a, this is a virus that people, some people get it and very quickly get very sick and die. And it's in a matter of days and more and more people are knowing people like that. I do think the anti-mask contingent, gets more publicity than it's due. But part of the problem, and Jane can talk about this, we have legislators in Columbus who are part of the anti-mask contingent. We have legislators that want to, you know, arrest Mike DeWine and impeach Mike DeWine because he's trying to, to, to protect people. So when you have elected officials doing ridiculous things like that, they're going to get covered. You know, they're the, they're the leaders, but you're right. It gives more attention to it than probably it deserves. Cause most people don't, most people, you know, wear a mask. I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of people in my life who don't wear them. I am, you know, and, and, you, and, and, like, I, and the handful you, that ha- that didn't, I got the virus. So, I mean, it's like, but you, you recently moved and your movers didn't wear masks, right? Well, yeah, we had an issue where they weren't when they initially came in and there were some, some hand wringing and a little bit of angry <laughs> sort of, you know, yeah. lecturing about, you know, you're in our house, you're, you're going to be in our new house. Please don't, you know, please just respect our wishes. And, and so, you know, I, I think for the most, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, my, my partner went to a, a place to get coffee this morning and she said a guy walked in without a mask on and, 
And she said, put on a mask. And then she left. And, and, you know, there are still a handful of people who just aren't going to ever get it. And, and I think, I think that's, what's kind of, so it, it makes his DeWine's briefings difficult to watch. It's because it's like, you, you hear the same thing over again, over and over again. And you've, you've been doing the right thing for 10 months and you're like, geez, what, you know, play a different song. And then, you know, but then you realize like, oh, it, maybe it is reaching new people, you know, when you see yeah, these Thanksgiving I mean, numbers. And so, I, you know, who knows? So, yeah, it's a good time. I was charmed this weekend. I was out walking the dog and there were two girls, maybe nine years old, climbed way up in a tree on the corner and both were wearing masks. So not something you would expect to see. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What are the details on Paul Dolan's plan to find a new name for his Indians baseball team? We turn once again to our sports expert on this podcast, Laura Johnston. <laughs> I was going to note that you gave me another sports question to answer. Um, but Paul Dolan explained his decision in a Monday uh, email to team ticket holders, of which I am not one. But he told ticket holders that there's going to be no rush to rename the team. He said this is phase one of a multi-phase process that will include a new name and brand development. So Dolan told you know, ticket holders in this letter that he had listened firsthand to stories and experiences of Native American people, and that he had gained a deep understanding of how tribal communities felt about using the name Indians as a mascot and the detrimental effects. So they also talked to civic leaders. He said that represents a diverse population who highlighted negative impacts the team had had. So they will be changing their name for the 2022 season. They are not going to be using Cleveland baseball team in the interim. So they'll be using Indians for 2021. And then we could expect to see the change. So I am sure we will get continue to get a whole lot more emails about what the name should be called. All right. I'm throwing the flag because this is completely bogus. I was glad <laughs> Terry Pluto wrote the column he wrote. I think it was posted yesterday where he said, I told you all this in June. This was a done deal in June. They were going to change the name at the end of this next season. There'll be the Indians next year. And it was always a done deal. So the question is, why are they doing this? And and it's led to speculation. And one of the interesting theories here is the Indians are broke. We we have this story Paul Hoynes wrote last fall where they admitted that they are completely crippled money-wise. They need an investor. It was speculation last week that LeBron James, having signed his extension in Los Angeles, now has a bunch of money and he could become an investor. But LeBron James is not going to invest in a socially inappropriate named team. He's not going to invest in a team called the Indians for all the obvious reasons. And so there's speculation that to get an investor that they need to stop using this horribly inappropriate name. And that's why this came out. The bizarre thing was they, this was all leaked to the New York times. And when it started rolling, we talked about this yesterday. It's like, wait, this isn't news. Terry Pluto reported all of this in June. But if you start thinking about the investors, or maybe it's players, if you were a free agent, you might not want to come and wear the Cleveland Indians on your on your back if you are socially correct. So I, I'm throwing a flag. I think this is a bogus announcement, and I'm not buying it. Does anybody want to disagree with me? Well, uh, this is Chris Wernowski. Uh, throwing the flag is a completely different sport. But, but... <laughs> <laughs> Use it when it's not in sports, uh, Chris Wernowski. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a big investor, why not go to, why not go to the New York Times? I, <laughs> you know, national coverage of it? I, I don't know. 
But, you know, I mean, they've already scrubbed the offensive image from their, you know, uniforms and everything. And you're right. It was, I like, I, for the life of me, when this, this hit Sunday night, I, I, I read it. And I spoke with somebody who's a much bigger Indians fan than I am. I'm a Cardinals fan. But but I, I said what like I'm having a really hard time figuring out what's new here. And they go, well, you know, they went from being kind of, you know, we're exploring the possibility of changing the name to, yeah. to definitively saying it. But it just I don't know, like it seemed like such an incremental moving right. of the needle that it was like I like I every every bit about it felt way too familiar so but it got huge coverage because it came out on a sunday night the new york times breaks it everybody's racing to pick it up and back here in cleveland we're like wait wait i was so glad terry wrote what he wrote because it it just it it's the sobering view like hey fans there's nothing new here, really, except that they're saying for sure they're doing what we said they were going to do in but, June. Check out Terry's piece on Cleveland.com. It's pretty good stuff. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is another East Cleveland mayor charged in federal court with breaking the law? Chris Ranowski, it's, uh, it's a bit striking that another former East Cleveland mayor is facing what I guess could be prison time. Emmanuel Ananwar was a previous East Cleveland mayor that did prison time. What's going on here? Who is it and what's he accused of? Uh, Gary Norton, who was... Uh... Uh, recalled in 2016 was actually indicted uh, on federal charges uh, Monday in this investigation into bribery and fraud that um, I think has been previously reported that um, was related to an investigation into demolition contracts. And, and this is kind of a strange story. Basically what the, the feds are alleging is that, he he was brought in to testify in front of a grand jury and they and was basically, they, you know, they tell you, like, don't discuss your your testimony with other people. And and then they're saying that he went out and he had conversations about what he testified about. And then they brought him back in and asked him if he had talked about what he had discussed with, with the grand jury. And he said no. And and they had evidence to the contrary. So uh, it looks like he, you know, they kind of put him in a I don't know how you would describe this. I mean, you know, he kind of backed himself in a corner here if this is true. Um, But all all that said, it it does appear that he is as a part of this is is cooperating with the investigation as it is ongoing. So, you know, I mean, but they always kind of say that, but, you know, but you know, what's bothersome about this is, okay. They told them, don't talk about this. They, they can't stop you from talking about it. And so he goes out and he talks about it instead of bringing them in and saying, Hey, Gary, you're a knucklehead. We asked you not to talk about this. This is a serious investigation. You care about your city, knock it off. They bring him in and have him officially answer questions. He tells the lie, which he shouldn't do. And now he's facing felony charges. It's just it seems like a cheap prosecution of a guy who was pretty well respected. I don't know if people remember, but but Gary Norton was a mayor who was working to have East Cleveland and Cleveland merge because East Cleveland is so financially distressed. There's no good future for East Cleveland with its current form of government. And and he a lot of people in the community, the greater community, appreciated him. He was looked upon as a good guy. 
but he got recalled because of the kind of the weak politics of East Cleveland. It's it just seems like you know there's been a long suspicion in in many corners of Cleveland that the federal government targets elected black leaders that they have investigated them for years. We could go into details of the Jeff Johnson investigation years ago and what the flaws were in that. This feeds that. Why mm-hmm. why feed that? Why create a crime? When you could have just brought him in and said, come on, man, work with us. We're trying to do something good for your city here. Don't work against this. Instead, they get him to, to commit the crime. Right. And it's it's this, you know, when you when you hear people talking, when people testify before Congress, you know, they always talk about perjury traps and, and trying to get people trapped in those things. And and it's like, OK, like, yeah, did somebody do something wrong? Yeah. But but should it? I don't know. Like stuff like this just it sits with me poorly. Like I, but maybe, you know, maybe there is something, something bigger here that they are, are trying to shake down that they eventually will. But you know, that remains to be seen. I mean, we were, you know, we were told the same thing about the Cuyahoga County investigation, which, you know, which which, which eventually, you know, they found their big fish in the jail, which was, you know, you forget that started out as an HR and IT issue. And then, you know, for the lack of something, you know, sensational, they, they saw all of this disarray at the county jail and the investigation sort of gently pivoted in that direction over time. So, you know, this, you know, again, if, if, if there is bribery and if there, there is fraud going on in East Cleveland, absolutely it should be investigated. And, and hopefully we get, you know, a a bit, a bigger sense of what they're looking into at some point here. And we should say there is no, there's no evidence yet that Gary Norton was a target of that investigation. He was a witness that they were using. Maybe he, maybe they, he's also a target, but there's no indication of that. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. When will coronavirus vaccines start hitting Ohio nursing homes? Jane Cahoon, the death rate in Ohio nursing homes has been staggering. I think four out of five deaths in Ohio are happening there. Damn close. So when will we start to, protect people there so that they stop dying in such large numbers. That would be Friday, uh, three days earlier than they expected. Uh, Governor DeWine announced this on Monday. He said um, residents and and staff at five to 10 nursing homes, they're going to be the first facilities to receive the the vaccine. Uh, It's some sort of, um, you know, the, the Centers for Disease Control has invited Ohio to participate in what they called an early scaled launch of vaccines. So I guess CVS and Walgreens and two other companies handling the distribution of the vaccine are going to determine when the vaccines are going to be deployed to, to each of the hundreds of nursing homes in the state. But he said, you know, if you're a nursing home and you get a call from one of these companies and they say, we want to be there on such and such a date, you know, please say, please say yes. So so yeah, Friday. The idea that that you could reduce the fatality rate in the state by a significant percentage just by targeting nursing homes seems to resonate with everybody. I mean, we've got to get that healthcare workers first because they're being exposed every day to people who are infected. But if the number two spot is nursing homes, it would go a long way to to saving people. Are we getting more information yet on the priority list and just how far down we'll all be on it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they've really said anything more about that. DeWine didn't really, 
you know, he was asked various questions about that on Monday, including like when he was going to be vaccinated. And he he kind of just said, well, you know, we're, we're still working all that out. I'm not going to, you know, skip in line in front of anybody when it's my turn. I'll I'll do it and I'll probably do it on TV, I think he said. Well, we're getting such small numbers, really, of the vaccine so far that it doesn't really matter. It probably won't be what, January or February before we start to spread beyond the immediate first responders healthcare. But it would be interesting to know when when we can get a line for this untested vaccine that scares the bejesus out of everybody. <laughs> You're listening to this week in the CLE. Did the Cuyahoga County Sheriff do something unprecedented Monday in his effort to reduce the spread of the coronavirus in the jail? Chris Warnowski, this one surprised me. We've been talking about the way the cases have ramped up in the jail, efforts to work with the state to reduce the population. And then the sheriff came out and did something pretty emphatic. What was it? Yeah, so the uh, interim sheriff, Dave Schilling, uh, basically ordered the release of dozens of inmates who were serving misdemeanor jail sentences and received the green light from the state prison system to release some folks who were also being held on parole violations. So the first sort of wave of people to leave the jail left the jail at about five o'clock yesterday. And um, they're expected to have more uh, sort of trickle out as the week continues. You know, it comes at a time, you know, when the cases are kind of exploding there. I, I think as of you know, it, I mean, it's interesting. We had like two cases in the jail as of November 5th, and we were up to 282 as of Monday morning, which which means it's probably gone up a little more even overnight. And we had that really big jump last week at the end of the week. And this includes a lot of officers. You know, I think we've had, I think they said something like 69 officers have the virus. They've, they've asked, you know, they the state is going to provide um, National Guard people to come in and actually help do you know, corrections work while, you know, these, these, uh, the full-time corrections officers there, uh, you know, go out and get well. So, um, the Schilling's order though says that anyone sentenced to a misdemeanor crime other than domestic violence would be released. And so they're keeping those folks there. I don't have a count on how many that includes, but, um, but this will bring the population back down. You know, we're still, we're still at comparatively low levels at the jail, but not as low as, as we were in the spring when everybody got together and, and got as many people out of the jail as they could. One of the things that, that is worth noting is that, you know, that as we, as we have seen an increase in homicides and gun violence, a lot of these people are folks that the, you know, prosecutors and, and judges and jail folks say they can't release or shouldn't release as, you know, to the, because it would be detrimental to the safety of the public. So, you know, yeah. So it's, I mean, they're, no, go ahead. They're trying. They're, they're, everybody's trying to do right here, but, but they are up against it. I, I know that this kind of move frustrates municipal court judges because they feel like people that are doing bad things in the municipalities, it's not gun violence, it's misdemeanor level stuff. No, they won't go to jail and they're kind of thumbing their nose at the judges and the judges don't have a hammer, at least not now. Well, but that's, that's the, the sort of quiet thing that nobody wants to admit that, you know, if, if they release these folks and, and, you know, the war, the, you know, the sky doesn't collapse on us, you know, then that might make people question whether or not. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I've, I mean, I've, I've actually heard from them and they're, they're saying that the defendants in their courtroom are saying to them, you can't do anything to me. So ha ha. And, and to not have the, the threat 
of jail is exacerbating bad behavior. Well, it's not, it's but, not but, gun crime. It's it's you know shoplifting and things like that. But it's it, I get it. it. You're balancing the threat of death for people in the jail who are in there for misdemeanors against the municipal court judges having hammers. And in this case, Schilling is saying, I'm going with protecting people's lives, which is a laudable, a laudable. Goal. Well, but, and, and, you know, and we, we sort of talked about this a little bit yesterday. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but, you know, I, I, we're getting close to having a really uncomfortable conversation that I think a lot of people don't want to have, which is if you want to keep people in jail, you're going to have to vaccinate them. And otherwise you're, you're, you know, you're almost bordering on a human rights issue. And, no, and you do need the vaccine. Right. They're your wards. I mean, that, that shouldn't even be a debate. They, if you've got people in jail, they're very vulnerable. They should be vaccinated. They should be pretty high up on the list or let them go. I mean, that's, I don't, I, I'm sure there'd be some people that debate that. They probably wouldn't put their names behind the debate. Well, well, um, you know, unless, unless they have a, you know, unless they're the sort of person that wants to, you know, arrest the governor. I, you know, I, I suspect, that, <laughs> I suspect that there will be a, a, a thread of lawmakers that, that are a, of the, if, if they don't want the virus, they shouldn't go to jail ilk. And, you know, and, and so we'll have to have that debate when it comes, but you know, we're not there yet. Good point. So. Good point. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Man, we are running out of time in a hurry. We're going to get to one more. Laura, it's going to be yours. What does the Summit County Health Director say about the Akron Mayor's plan to end his ban on small gatherings in people's homes? Laura Johnston, we talked earlier in a podcast about whether turning small levers can have big effects. The, the people in Summit County seem to be saying you shouldn't turn the levers at all. They don't mean anything. Right. They're saying not only was it not enough to have restrictions in Akron, but that even a Summit County-wide uh, group of restrictions would not be enough. Uh, Robin Goist, our reporter, talked to Summit County Health Commissioner Donna Skoda. She said a statewide approach is really the only way to go. She was commenting because Dan Horrigan, the mayor of Akron, had put in this month-long a gathering ordinance where they banned gatherings of more than six non-household guests. And he said it just it wasn't working. People can travel easily in and out of Akron. And so that wasn't enough. And so Donna Skoda says, say I live in Summit County and my family lives in Columbus and Franklin County. So if we can't get together here, we'll just go there. And so she said it's difficult to have piecemeal orders because they, people will find a way around them. And she doesn't think that Akron's ordinance had any real impact. But this flies in the face of our previous conversation about Mike DeWine's curfew making a difference. Now, they would say, well, that's because it's statewide. But what I'm getting at is if you can persuade a dozen people or a 100 people to not take the risky behavior, how much less of a spread is there? They're just throwing up their hands and saying, yeah, we're not going to do anything. It gets back to the whole argument that we've discussed repeatedly. What is the value of health boards and, and, and local things like this that are not accountable, that are not answerable to the people? But it, it's just bizarre that they're saying, yeah, we're, we're going to end our ban on small gatherings, even though we believe that's how the virus is spreading. And that data that came out of Washington, D.C. yesterday seems to confirm <laughs> just given up. I this threw me. Did 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 anybody else see this and think what are they thinking? Well, I did, and I'm, my thought is 
it's about education, right? Like you're not going to convince everybody. They didn't give any fines in Akron, but if they're telling you no more than six, then people are realizing, okay, there's probably a reasoning behind it. So to, to say you're only affecting the people in Akron when anybody could be reading about the restriction, that seemed really small-minded. Right. It's it's what Chris said that about you listen to DeWine at these briefings day after day after day saying, wear a mask, wear a mask. And you think you've reached everybody, but maybe he hasn't. Maybe that's why we've we haven't seen the post Thanksgiving surge. Well, in Akron, they're pulling back that messaging, although they did in the same breath extend their stay at home advisory. Right? <laughs> they did. <laughs> Or How does that make sense? Till January. It, it doesn't, I mean, and it is just an advisory that has absolutely no teeth in it. So Well, you can't go and gather in small groups if you can't if you can't leave the house. Think about it, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I mean that one was one that just had my head spinning. I don't understand what they're thinking. The mayor down there is usually somebody that you think knows what he's doing. In this case, it just raised questions. Good job by Robin reporting that story and flushing it out with the countywide focus. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. I didn't think we had good topics for this podcast today, but wow, I was wrong. This has been a pretty fiery discussion. You know, it starts with public executions and it ends with, you know, the mayor of Akron doing wacky things. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Chris. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow. Tomorrow.